Let me read the scripture for you today from Feast, excuse me, First Peter, um, first chapter, verses one through nine. It's in your bulletin, and some of you brought your Bibles, and some of you brought your iPhones or whatever phones to look at it. Um, this is the word of God from the New Testament. From the New Testament, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles in a dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith by, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God. Ah, wow. Good morning. It's good to be here. I think I preached here once before uh, for uh, Charles McKnight's uh, ordination. No, 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 no. Amari's. Hills, ordination. I'm sorry. I think I got that right. Can, can I get a stand? Because this is so low I can't see, and I'm old. So I, I need to bring it closer. Oh, that's a little bit better. Thanks. Is that going to work for you? Yeah, I think it'll work. I think I can see it. you want to stand? I will struggle through this. No, I'll get you a stand, okay? No, 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 no. You got to make it work. Wherever you are, you just got to make it work. So, I'll make it work. This is the pulpit. You got to hold on to it for dear life. Uh, let's open up our, our time in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, our God, our King, we thank you. We thank you for your incredible, incredible grace towards us who are sinners. Remind us that we are sinners. But then remind us of the good news that we are free because of the incredible sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I pray this morning that you would use this message to pierce our hearts with the reality of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. For it's in his name that I pray. Amen. I don't know whether you know this or not, but when you were born... You were born spiritually dead. You were born spiritually dead into a sin-cursed world of pain and suffering. You were born into a world largely without hope. Now, in America, we can deceive ourselves into believing that there's actually hope in this world. 
with a little education, money, power, you can turn this world into a livable life. Yeah, you may only live 70, 80, 90. My mother's 96. But according to one televangelist, you can actually have your best life now. But first century Christians did not entertain such an illusion. The average life expectancy was 40 years if you made it past childhood. Infant mortality rate was 50%. Most people had lots of children because they knew that half of them were going to die. There was always the threat of pestilence and disease and plagues. And they didn't enjoy our miracle drugs that we have today. Life was hard. And to make matters even worse, these first century Christians were experiencing persecution from the Roman government. And it is to these Christians scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia to whom Peter is writing. And he's writing them a letter of hope. In the midst of their difficulty and suffering, he wants to encourage them and give them hope. In the midst of hardship and difficult made even harder, how can he write about hope? But he even tells them in 1 Peter 3.15 that they should revere Christ and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks them about the reason for the hope that they have. He assumes hope. In the midst of difficulty, suffering, hardship, persecution, these Christians were supposed to be filled with hope so that people would ask them about the hope that they see in them. And the question I want to ask us is, are we hopeful? Are we a hopeful people? In the light of the difficulties and the struggles that we're going through today in our world that we see on television, that we struggle with, are we a hopeful people? I've heard some people say, what's this world coming to? I've got news for you. The world's broken. It's fallen. And if we pin our hope on this world, we're probably going to be disappointed. And so we need to really ask the question, where is your hope pinned to? What do you hope in? And so today, I'm going to talk about, guess what? I'm going to talk about hope. The three headings. What is hope? What kind of hope does the world have to offer? And what kind of hope does God offer us? So what is hope? Now, we talk about hope all the time. We have been hoping ever since we were little kids and wanting that special thing for Christmas. We hope all the time. We hope that the other kids will accept us when we're on the playground. We hope when we're in high school that we can somehow fit in. We hope that we get into a certain college. We hope to see the eclipse tomorrow. We hope that there's not too much traffic as we go home. <laughs> hope is essential. We live on hope the way a car runs on gasoline. In fact, hopelessness can lead to suicide. Proverbs 13 tells us that Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. We need hope, and we cannot live without hope. Paul Tripp, in his book, 
and his devotions called Morning Mercies says that we are all hardwired for hope. We protect our lives, we project our lives out into the future to imagine things as we would like for them to be. We carry around with us a personal hopes and dreams surrendering our hearts to some kind of expectation. We silently wish that things could be different than they are. So much of how we look at life and how we live our lives is connected to the things in which we place our fundamental hope. And he goes on to talk about the fact that hope has, has three elements. It has an assessment. We assess life. We don't like it. And we create an object of, of our hope. And then we expect that object to deliver. I grew up in Harlem when it wasn't cool. And so my hope was to get out of Harlem. And I thought that with enough education, I'll move up. I'll marry the right person. I'll have the house. It'll have a picket fence around it. That was my object of hope. I assessed life, it wasn't right, I had an object, and my expectation that was that it was going to deliver. Well, it didn't quite deliver, but that's, that's probably another, another sermon. But did you know that what you believe about the future and where you place your hope largely determines how you live now? A famous preacher from New York City with a large church, my wife is so sick of me mentioning his name, I'm not going to, talks about the expectation and how you live your life now based on your expectation. And he talks about two workers. One worker is going to get $10,000 at the end of the year. The other one is going to get a million dollars at the end of the year. And they have a very tedious job of doing the same thing and is utterly boring. The one who's going to get $10,000 can hardly bring himself to come to work, kind of goes through the drudgery, wondering. And then the one who's going to get a million is kind of happy every day. I wonder why. Do you see that the one who's going to get a million has a whole different attitude about his day-to-day -day based on his expectation that I'm going to be rich at the end of the year. And we see this principle operating in the scriptures when the scriptures talk about Jacob and Rachel. And Jacob really loved Rachel. And, 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 and he had to work for her for seven years. But the scripture says that they seem like only a few days. Why? Because of his love for her. I can hardly wait. Seven years, nothing. Your attitude towards life and your present circumstance is largely governed by your hope. Unfortunately, most people put their hope in the things of this world, even Christians. Point two, what kind of hope does the world offer? The world does offer a hope, but it's a hope that easily disappoints because it's based on circumstances. And that's why the word hope in the English language means wishful thinking. This world was not designed to give us and this is especially true, not that the world is fallen. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the world's been broken. And the creation has been subject to frustration, not of its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Adam and Eve designed to find their hope 
in God began to look for their hope in this world that is frustrated, that, 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 that can never lead anywhere. We all have desires and hopes and longings for happiness and purpose and meaning and significance, but we tend to put those hopes in the right situation, in the right relationships, in possessions and things that we can get. But the hope to which God created us was not to be in this world. It was to be in him. And when we take our eyes off of him, life in this world just becomes more and more frustrating. The Bible warns us about putting our hope in this world and the things of this world. Isaiah says, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? The psalmist says, do not Trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. We live in a frustrating world and a disappointing world, and many of our hopes have been disappointed. How many of us have already been disappointed by our, our families, by our friends, perhaps by our spouses, our government, and this is because we load our hope on the back of things that cannot hold up. You dream the American dream. One day, if I can get the right job, if I can make enough money, if I can find the right spouse, I'm going to live happily ever after. And many of us are still tracing those dreams. And we think if I can only get it, we get something, we finish the education, we get the degree, and I'm not, it's not quite there. Maybe I need an advanced degree. And we get the advanced degree, and then we get the raise, and we get all the stuff, and it's not quite there. Others of us get what we want, and we discover that it doesn't satisfy. Jim Carrey, the funny man, said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so that they can see that it's not the answer. I think when I looked it up, he was worth $120 million or something like that. The stuff doesn't do it. Now, I know you're thinking, if I had the stuff, I would be different. The book of Ecclesiastes attests to the frustration and the hopelessness of life on planet Earth. When it says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and around it goes, every returning to its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear enough of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything to which one can say, look, this is new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generation, and even those who come will not be remembered by those who follow. I hope 
you're depressed. Because that's life on planet Earth without God. But there's another hope. I got some good news for you. There's some hope. What kind of hope does God offer us? The scriptures tell us that in his great mercy, God gives us a living hope. Verse 3 says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you are a Christian today, you have been born into a hope that is alive. You have been born into a living hope a hope that is kept for you in heaven, a hope that is more valuable than a billion dollars, a hope that cannot be destroyed. You have been born into a hope that can't disappoint because according to Romans 5, God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit to whom he has given to us. Our hope is anchored in the fact that we are loved by the only significant person in the universe. That is God. Our hope is anchored in the reality that he loves us. But you need to be born again. Are you born again today? As the evangelist would like to say, as Billy Graham would say, are you born again today? Because if you're born again today, you're born into this living hope. And you need to know what you got. You need to know that you have been born into a living hope to an inheritance that can never perish, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All earthly inheritance is going to one day perish along with the earth and spoil, but our heavenly inheritance can never be taken away or destroyed. In fact, Peter says that we're being guarded by God's power until the day of inheritance. It's as if that there's, that there's a band of angels are around you who are protecting you. And that's how I'd like to feel sometimes when I'm driving down 85, going 90 miles, in, well, 80 miles an hour. And I am hoping that somebody is surrounding me, guarding me as I'm going down that road. And there's more than the car. The realization of this hope can actually change the way we experience day-to-day -day life. You remember the illustration about the workers? How differently would you live if you know for certain the money's in the bank? God's got it there for me. It's, it's, it's secure. I really don't have anything to worry. How would that change your life? If you are a child of God, you have been given a living hope worth a lot more than a billion dollars. And the thing about this inheritance is that, you know, if somebody promises you an inheritance on, on earth, you may or may not get it. You know, they, they, they may run through their money or the stock market may crash or, or things lose their value. But the thing about our inheritance that God gives us is that, is that it's been guaranteed. He didn't have to guarantee it. He gave us a sign of that guaranteedness. You know that. He gives us a hope that's a certainty because it's based on the reality of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Whenever you get in doubt, you say, Jesus, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus was raised from the dead. 
Verse 3 says, according to his great power, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And a resurrection makes all the difference in the world. According to 1 Corinthians 15, it says that if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then the apostles were liars, and our faith is in vain, and we can't believe the Bible. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we're still guilty in our sins. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then all the Christians who have gone before him have perished. If our hope is only in this life, we of all people are to be most pitied. But it goes on to say, but Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. And the reason why we have a living hope is because our hope is based on a living person who is alive and sitting at the right hand of God even now. And our hope is that one day we will be raised to new life, imperishable, without any burdens. And we will see Jesus face to face, and we can ask him all those questions that we want to ask him that we never quite understood. Or maybe we just won't care because life will be on a whole nother plane. We're protected. Our resurrected life, we're surrounded. And that new life we've been given really frees us to live life now. We don't have to fret about the uncertainties of life as, as things go up and down and the politics change and we wonder, is, well, what is going on? We don't have to worry because we know who the author is. And he's writing our story. We're in the middle of the story. And we get anxious and we don't know. Have you ever seen a mystery? And you've seen it already. And you take a friend with you to the movies. And they're jumping because they don't know what's going to You already know. So you're kind of cool. Because you already know what's going to happen. See, that's what our life needs to be. We already know how the story ends. Our lives are filled with difficulties and uncertainty and trials, but we don't have to worry because we know the author and we know the ending. And there's so many uncertainties in life. It's enough to make you jump. Think about the story of Joseph and his brothers being, you know, they sold Joseph into slavery. They think they've gotten rid of Joseph, and so they're kind of feeling guilty about it. They go home, tell the father, Jacob. Jacob is, he's pretty depressed. Men switch the scene. The scene goes to Joseph. Joseph doesn't know what's going on. Why am I being treated this way? He was put in a pit. Now he's sold to Potiphar's, and things are going pretty well in the household until Potiphar's wife starts chasing him. He said, what's going on now? And he runs out, and then he ends up in prison. I was trying to be good. I'm in prison now. I did good. Why is God punishing me now? I'm in prison. And then the baker and the, and the wine taster come, and they have a dream. He interprets the dream. He says, remember me. He does a good thing, and they totally forget him. And then the Pharisee, the Pharaoh, has a dream, and he interprets the dream. And the next thing you know, Joseph is second in command. He's raised up and, you know, kind of has a great ending. And see, when we read that story, we can read it relaxed because we're the, we know how it's going to 
But in our lives, our lives are up and down. Our lives are so much like Joseph's. It goes up and down and sideways. They're good days. They're bad days. And we just don't know. We wonder, God, what is going on? Because we're in the middle of the story. But he's writing it. And the good news is that he's already told us the ending. He says that in the end, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. For, for, for the old has disappeared and it's going to come down. And that's, we're going to be enveloped in that. We're going to be priests and kings and queens and in this new world. It's an incredible ending that he's given us. He's already written the story. And so he tells us that even in the midst of difficulty, we don't have to worry because he's already written the story. He's got our back. Paul calls the trials and the difficulties that we go through, he calls, <clears throat> he calls them a brief momentary affliction. Now, they don't feel like brief. They don't feel momentary. But he says they're brief and they're momentary. In verse 6, Peter says that we can rejoice in the midst of them. He said, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Let me say this. For a little while, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter is telling us that even in the midst of suffering and difficulty and uncertainty, we can have joy. We can rejoice in our suffering and our difficulty because the story has been written. And we can understand that God is working all this complex stuff. God is so much bigger than us. He is working all this out to our good. He tells us that even the trials have a purpose. He's chipping off edges. It's, it's, it's especially difficult when it hurts. You know, I mean, we can be spiritual and all that other stuff when life is running smooth. We can talk about God blessing me. Oh, it's God is so wonderful. But when we're going through some difficulty, when it hurts, we come close to maybe cussing a little bit. Think about what Job went through. You see, God, God almost has a bet with Satan. And he said, well, you can, you can do this, but not that. You can do this to Job, but not that. And Job is sweating. He's he's crying, and, and, and the worst pain is, is his friends who, 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 who ain't comforting him at all. But then something happens. Job meets God. He's whining for 38 chapters, but once he meets God, and God says, who is this that darkens counsel with, knowledge, with no knowledge? Job basically shuts up. He says, hmm, heard about you. Now I've seen you. His whole perspective changes. He no longer complains. He begins to worship. Our perspective needs to change. We need to know that this world is not run away. It is in total control of the sovereign God of the universe. You know, and I can preach this all day long and all night, but I'm going to forget this, and you're going to forget this by the time you get to the parking lot. Because it's hard to hold this reality together. We tend to slip and forget the hope that we have in Christ. And we begin to look at the ways. We begin to look at the stuff, and, they, and it overwhelms us. And our tendency 
to look at things and to, and to begin to put more power in them and, and more worth in them than we do in God. It's called idolatry. And in the Old Testament, God would send out his prophets to rebuke his people. But in the New Testament, we have Jesus. Jesus continually reminds us that he is all we need. You remember the woman at the well? She had an idol. What was her idol? Men. She had five husbands. And the man that she was looking, living with now was not her husband. She was looking for something. And Jesus, using a metaphor, says everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to life. He is our living water. We need Jesus as our hope. You remember Martha? Martha rebukes Jesus when he comes. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, you'll see your brother again. And then Martha gets theological. Oh, yeah, I know I'm going to see him. You know, I studied theology. I realized I'll see him in the resurrection. And Jesus says, you missed the point. I am the resurrection and the life. See, the, it's not then. It's, it's right now that we can live in our hope. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heart and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because he knows that chasing after things in this world is going to make you restless. You're never going to be satisfied. You're going to go after one thing, after another thing, after another thing. And you say, if I could only get this thing, if I could only get that new car, <laughs> phone, job, Wife, husband, <laughs> the next one will be different. <laughs> Jesus says, take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Our souls are restless when they run after the things of this world. Well, how do we stay focused? How, how do we stay focused on this living hope? Because it's so easy to forget. As soon as we get into a quandary, we forget. And so let me close with a few suggestions. First of all, ask God to fill you with his spirit. I know you're a Christian. I know you have the Holy Spirit because you're a Christian. But ask him to fill you. We are commanded to be filled with the spirit. And there's an interesting way the Spirit works. We think that, it, fill me with the Spirit, and then we expect something really kind of strange to happen. You remember, anybody remember Popeye? You know, he would eat the spinach, and then boom, boom, he would get these muscles. And that's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit doesn't come in us, and then boom, boom, we're, we're super, <laughs> super men. The Holy Spirit comes and reminds us of our hope. The Holy Spirit comes and reminds us of who Jesus is. It reminds us of the things that are written in the scriptures that give us hope. So ask him to fill you with his spirit. Secondly, study 1 Peter. It's a, it's a message all about hope. 1 Peter 1.13 argues that we should obey, not because life is easy, but because we have a living hope. 1 Peter 2.11 tells us that we live like aliens because we know that this is not our final destination. 
1 Peter 2.13 teaches us to submit to the authorities over us and to work respectfully in the workplace, not because we have nice bosses, but because we have a living hope to look forward to. 1 Peter 2.23 tells us to put up with the insults of others because people are no longer the source of our hope. 1 Peter 3 teaches that the only way to a great marriage is if your spouse is not your source of hope. Let me say that again. Your spouse cannot be your source of hope. Jesus is your source of hope. And then you can love your spouse. That one, I need it. 1 Peter 3.8 teaches that our living hope enables us to endure suffering. And only our living hope can keep us from going after idols that can never satisfy. Third recommendation is find like-minded people. Find a friend. You can't live the Christian life alone. Find other people that you can call up on a regular basis and say, I just need somebody to talk to. Howard's one of those connections for me. I call him up and I say, I'm struggling with something. And he's young enough to be my son, literally. But yet, you know, he's my, you know, I mean, there's no good people. We're, we, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's my brother. He's my spiritual partner. I can call him up and he'll listen to me whine. <laughs> So find like-minded believers that you can get together with. Third, fourthly, be thankful. We tend not to be thankful. We tend to take life for granted. We are so much like teenagers where we are just assume, you know, this is my world. God gave it to me. Be thankful. Be thankful for that you, be thankful that you can hear, that you can walk, that you can talk. Because when these things are taken away, you miss them. You go, oh. Don't, don't take life for granted. Don't take, don't take the sunshine for granted. Don't, don't take this building for granted. Be thankful in all things. And it begins to change your heart when you're thankful in all things. Lastly, remember that all biblical hope is a certainty because our living hope is in a living person, our Lord Jesus Christ. Where is your hope today? What are you building your life on? The hymn writer writes, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Where's your hope today? Is your hope in things of this world? Is your hope in your abilities? Is your hope in your success? Or is it in the only place that can never, ever be destroyed? Let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father and our God and our King, we thank you. We thank you that you are our hope. That you are the reason we can have joy, even in the midst of sorrow and difficulty. We thank you that you have given us your word through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that tells the whole story. We thank you that the ending 
shows a picture of a new heaven and a new earth where the old earth had disappeared. And I thank you that it's coming down and that we will have new bodies in which to live and move and to rejoice and to know you. But in the meanwhile, Lord, we're going through difficulties and sufferings, many of us, and I pray for us, Lord, that our eyes would not be on our difficulty, on our suffering, on our misery, but it would be on you. When we feel trapped, help us to turn to you, even in prayer. Fill us. Thank you for fellowship, for other believers, for encouragement. Help us to believe. We thank you for these things, Lord, because we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.